Welcome to Voices from the Front Lines. This is Channing Martinez, your co-host, and I'm in studio with Eric Mann. And today we have a great show, an exciting show. We're going to be talking about two things. I'll be first giving a film review or an episodic review of Lovecraft Country, which just came out two weeks ago. Um, and Eric will be speaking about the DNC, the RNC, and the movement, and where do we go from here. So with that, I'll just get started. I'll get started with a little summary of Lovecraft Country, and then we'll hear the trailer, and then I will read a really, a pretty, what I think is a great review at least. <laughs> so Lovecraft Country, it was created by Misha Green and Jordan Peele, and written by Misha Green and other, you know, uh, uh, a load of uh, writers, um, featured actors Jonathan Majors, Journey Smollett, and uh, uh, Courtney Vance. And the HBO summary is as follows. A search for a missing father turns into an otherworldly trip. Based on Matt Ruff's novel, this series follows Korean War vet Atticus Freeman, his friend Letitia, and his uncle George on a journey across 1950s Jim Crow America. What follows is a struggle to survive against the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters ripped from H.P. Lovecraft paperback. And with that, let's hear the trailer. What's that book you've been reading about? It's about heroes who get to go on adventures, defeat the monsters, and save the day. Those boys from the south side of Chicago, the only tourists that get to do that. This story is about my father and the secret birthright that's been kept from us. You're going after it. We're going near the car. He's gonna stand there, Tick. This is family business. We got family to stay together. Bad for my own, scared for myself. Just because they don't want you here. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. You gotta get away. This is an invitation to unmitigated hell. Where in the hell did I go wrong with you, boy? I told you to stay away from that damn place. There's something here. Just trying to get out. Everything is where and as it should be. From God. We're surrounded by monsters. I'm doing this to protect us. You can't win this game. They set enough for you to play. This legacy belongs to our family. 
We gotta face this new world. Instinct, I'll claim in it. This is our family story. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was a great trailer. <laughs> um, and there's a lot to say about that. But let me jump into this review because I've said a lot of very interesting things here. So um, it says here, Lovecraft Country, based on the novel of the same name by Matt Ruff, comes at a pivotal time and tackles the theories and practices of white settler, settler racism and the black lived experience in the 1950s in the U.S., the series, in what I realize as a new genre of taking traditional racist stories and flipping them, tells a both realistic and fantastical story of liberation. The most recent other series in this genre is Watchmen, came out in 2019. Although, there's, uh, although it is great, it has its own problems, and of course, that's for another show. In watching the show... And listening to HBO's podcast based on the show, I realized I need to do a lot of study, even to understand all the roots, references, and the goals of the show. I'm listening to, in listening to the Welcome podcast, a 15-minute episode on Apple Podcasts, Ashley Ford and Shannon Houston speak about James Baldwin, the racist author and poet H.D. Lovecraft, the novel Lovecraft Country, by Matt Duff, um, Kara Walker's collection of writings in my writings in my compliment, my enemy, my oppressor, my love, um, and the film Black Panther, Vanguard of the Revolution, just to name a few. And most shocking is that both Ford and Houston aren't afraid to use the word imperialism in speaking about the themes of the show. So, all that to say that even before getting to my full review and as an extension into the core of the show, Jordan Peele and Misha Green are already attempting to forge a new film viewing experience, which involves study, and for our purposes, that is the strategy center's purposes, study in order to know your new best moves on the system. And let me just take a moment right here to affirm this tradition with the work of the strategy center and voices from the front lines. We have a long history of both using voices from the front lines to hold political conversation through film reviews and hosting movie nights to view films that will help us in our work. I'm still getting comfortable in writing, uh, writing in general. <laughs> um, and this, as some of you might know, is my second film review on voices. The first was a film review of Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. You can go to voicesfromthefrontlines.com right now to hear that review. I'll also be uploading the written version to Medium in the coming month. And lastly, if you have not already, you can go right now to thestrategycenter.org and register for our next film and book club this Thursday. Um, this Thursday, we'll be talking about Eric's recent article on defunding the L.A. school police. So, like no other show you've seen, Lovecraft Country isn't just a straightforward horror sci-fi family series. The show grounds us in some realities that, have lived, that some have lived through and others have studied or have heard stories from relatives or TV. 
that is the flamboyant racist 1950s. The show begins in the comfort of the segregated black Chicago neighborhood. But if nothing else, the end of the show leaves you even more fervently realizing that the whole country must burn. Those of you who have watched episode two will get that reference. Love Country, Lovecraft Country brings the world words of uh, Baldwin to life with a realistic view of the U.S. through the lens of black people who, as the show exhibits, can't find any place in the country where he, she, they, or we are safe. From the confines of segregated Chicago with its own set of contradictions to the rural north woods of Massachusetts with sundown towns, even down north, as Fannie Lou Hamer said, to outright flying spider, pig, cow, alien, scary monsters coming for everyone. Peel and Green are clearly out to make sure you're awake during the series and awake to the racist terrors of the U.S. history that continues today. Misha Green plays this quote from Baldwin as our main characters, Atticus Freeman, played by the very handsome Jonathan Majors, Letty Lewis, played by Journey Smollett, and childhood friend of Atticus, and Atticus' uncle, George Freeman, played by Courtney Vance, on the road to Lovecraft Country through the rural north. And Baldwin's quote goes as this. I find myself not for the first time in the position of a kind of Jeremiah. For example, I don't disagree with Mr. Burford, Burford, right, that the inequality suffered by the American Negro population in the United States has hindered the American dream. Indeed, it has. I quarrel with some other things he has to say. The other, the other deeper element of a certain awkwardness, I feel, has to do with one's point of view. I have to put it that way. One's sense, one's system of reality. It would seem to me the proposition before the house, and I would put it that way, is the American dream at the expense of the American Negro, or the American dream is at the expense of the American Negro. Is the question hedi- hedi- uh, I'm sorry. Is the question hideously loaded? And then one's response to the question, one's reaction to that question, has to deepen on effect and in effect where you find yourself in the world, what, what your sense of reality is, what your, what your system of reality is. That is, it depends on assumptions which hold so deeply so as to be scarcely aware of them. And we could do a whole series of shows on just that quote. <laughs> um, there are many moments that cause me to stop even before the unworldly monsters show up in the show like being stopped by the police in the middle of the north in a sundown town, being ran out of town for sitting in a cafe in a rural town that has once been burned because a white owner who previously owned the restaurant served the black person. I stopped to think about the black migrations of the 1960s and even the 1930s and even the 1970s and all the black migration histories and how dangerous was in the, even in the north for black people to jump in their car and try to flee danger and get jobs in Detroit and other metro areas. In the, other, in the end of the scene, we see that 
sorry, in the end of that scene, we see the danger that still comes following despite the wild parasitic directions of the officer of the officer telling them to get out of town before the sun goes down. And then the monsters show up. And it's as if we're transformed from 1950 back into the racist days of 2020 with an imminent impending danger, in our case, coronavirus, in the case of the series, the flying spider pig, cow alien, scary monsters. In a very strategic and enraging scene in which our main characters are stuck in a barn with three local sheriffs, one of which is missing an arm and bleeding out, even in the midst of clear impending danger on everyone, including the sheriffs, the guns are still steadied on the black characters who are brainstorming on their own, from their own observations on the monsters and how to escape them. In a great observation, and, and let me just pause there and say that even in the face of impending danger from both white people and all types of systems, black people are always so inventive, and I'm always captured by that, so I just had to put that in there. Um, in a great, uh, in a great observation by Ashley C. Ford, host of Lovecraft podcast, there is actually more logic to the unworldly monsters than there are to the white people in the series, and in real life. Whereas Atticus, where Atticus, Letty, and Uncle George find at the at least one way to stop the monsters, but are confirmed confronted in the same scene with the horror. Uh, I'm sorry but are confronted in the same scene with the horror of the white psyche, that is, now in my words, that there is completely no logic to its inner workings beyond uh, pure hate at whatever cost. And if you think all of that is a lot, that's just the first episode. In the second episode, we're introduced to a new set of white characters that, in my opinion, represent the white liberal ruling class all of whom are tied to the sons of Adam, trying to return to a purified time in the world before even, before even sought out, uh, sorry, before um, Eve even sought out uh, knowledge. It's played out to sound just like what it, what it is, a backward blank uh, white supremacist dream of what a world would, without women and people of race, other races other than Aryan would look like. I repeat, let the mother effer burn down like little fires everywhere. Now, I must let you know, I am a sci-fi fan, but not the usual in the usual geeky way. I like Star Wars and Star Trek, and against all odds, disliked Black Panther. See my review on Voices from the Front Lines. I don't collect memorabilia and no longer collect cool images, although sometimes I can't resist. But one thing to insert here is an obvious move that many black sci-fi fans know. That is, there's a new day in which black people now exist in the future and in sci-fi worlds. Just look at Star Wars and let me know if you can identify one black person in the early set of films and series before uh, Lando Cal Calrissian. I always screw up his name. And the last thing is that Lovecraft Country so far is a great series, unlike many sci-fi movies and shows attempts to ground us in the present political realities by taking us back into the roots. 
sound a lot sounds a lot like many of the classes at the Strata East Center in which Eric Mann and Manuel Criollo would begin lessons speaking about the evils of 1492. Although possibly not a direct motivation of this show, it encourages all encourages us all to look at the work of black organizers working today, like myself. When Atticus, Letty, and Uncle George are stopped by the police, by the police, and like we expect, the situation ends just as badly as we thought. I can't help but think to myself, that's why we need to defund the police. That's why I ran for LA City Council, and despite all the shocked looks, among the looks of solidarity, I dared to demand a 50% cut of the LAPD budget. Jordan Peele and Misha Green lets us know that this issue of arm, the armed state isn't a new one. And I'm here to let you know we're still fighting. And as a next step to watching the show, we need as many people as possible to join us in our fight for the social welfare state not the police state, the environmental justice state, not the warfare state. Well, <clears throat> well, you know, funny, you and I always, the, the other person says that was great, but it was really great. And uh, I, I mean, the first thing, Channing, is the written word is great. The written word is, uh, you know, somebody once said, uh, say that the, the lightest written word is more important than the loudest voice because the written word lasts and the complexity of, you know, you're dealing with a lot, you know, the, the, the complexity of the black experience in the middle of genocide and the white settler state is, you know, you've, you've lived it your whole life. I've read it, think it. It's still beyond comprehension what the hell this country is doing to black people. That's right. Yeah. right? I mean, you can think about it, talk about it. And, and so I think this film is taking you into, as you said, it's all about what you said, the role of imagination and the role of science fiction to elevate, the, I, I don't know, all, all the things you said were correct. <laughs> that, that's my main point, is that it was really good what you said, and, and I want to read it more carefully, and uh, I think it's... So when did you, uh, you saw the first one? Yeah, I saw the first and the second one, yeah. Right, obviously, you know, I mean, when you saw the first one, was you feeling like, oh my God, this is like a whole nother, a whole nother? I mean, I saw the octopus on the front thing, but I didn't think it was gonna be so outrageous because the first whole half of the episode is just like a normal family show. So when the craziness start happening in the South, all right, I get it. I'm still a little bit crazy because there's nothing on TV that I've ever seen really animating the actual actions of the hate that black people went through, like, you know, being chased out of that cafe. That was, I mean, that was almost as scary as some of the crazy scenes in Star Wars and Star Trek, and it's based on reality. Uh, but yes, me and my mom, who was sitting there, <laughs> Good. Um, you know, reluctantly watching it and doing her work as well, um, were just blown away. Like, what in the world did we just watch? <laughs> well, it's funny because, um, of course, you and I, we work six, eight, ten, twelve hours together, so we can sort of finish each other's 
brains. But, you know, on one of the shows, I said, you know, the thing about white people to understand is they just love to hate black people. And a friend called me up, a very good person, said, how could you say that? How could you say that? I mean, black people, uh, this whole article is about how white people are voting against their economic interests. And I said, after 400 years, don't you understand? White people don't care about their economic interests. They care about hating black folks. That served, they will go to their death. And what, what we were both struck by is, you know, when, in fact, all the Germans knew they were losing World War II mm -hmm. and the Russians were coming, you know what they did? They rushed into the concentration camps to kill Jews. They killed more Jews wow. in the last month. Instead of saying, all right, we lost, let's get... Killing Jews is what they want to do. So I told my friend, oh, and this is about even facing a monster. Right, right. They'd rather still kill black folks. They still rather... Even when black folks are saying to them, hey, we could build a united front, they go, uh-uh, and they paid for it. And they paid for it. You know what? We were screaming at the TV. I mean, I think our whole neighbors were probably listening to this. But at that point in the episode, we were screaming at the TV and saying, you are about to die. What the? Why are you shooting? You're pointing the gun at the black people as if there's not crazy monsters outside about to break in. You're literally about to die. And you can't get over your hate. Literally. That's what they're trying so, to tell you. you know. And I think I just saw it get out for the first time. Oh, boy. And, <laughs> and I don't know. I had an aversion. I didn't understand it, but it's the same thing. White people are trying to kill you. Yeah. And, right. you know, and they're going to eventually take your body. That's right. And inhabit you like parasites. So I think give big props to Jordan Peele. I think because, and again, I want everybody, uh, we're going to have this. First of all, go on. This is going to be up on Voices by Thursday. And then we're going to get it transcribed. And as I do in my, you do a little editing, you know, just yeah. a little bit. And then, no, but then it'll be up, and then it'll go on Medium. So what we're trying to tell you out there, folks, is we need your help. I mean, we'll, we work very, very hard. You know, Channing worked hours on this review, and we work on our stuff. And we're out there saying, you know, we have a film club every Thursday, well, every other Thursday. Or please go on Counterpunch or go on Medium. How do you go on Medium to find my article? I normally just search Eric Mann Medium. Okay, cool. Or go to medium.com and search Eric Mann. But the second one's not up yet, right? The second The one I just did is not yes, up. Yes, it is. Oh, thank you. My And when I'm getting, bear with me here. So me and Channing do stuff. And then we try to get it up on all kinds of platforms, right? So it's up on Voices from the Frontlines, which is our website. We keep saying, would you please go on the website and you could download every single show. Then we often transcribe the show and it allows us to edit it a little better. Not a lot. And then we put it up on different medium again, such as media, such as the new website called Medium, which is a magazine, an online magazine. And Channing's going to have his own, now you're going to have your own uh, whatever, place on Medium, which is cool, and you put both the Black Panther, yes. very cool, yeah, two reviews. All we need, folks, is for some people out there to care. <laughs> it's not that hard. You know, we got a lot of places to find us, and people are finding us. 
So if you like this conversation, if you like, you know, Channing's leadership on, you know, trying to really engage black culture, uh, we need more support. Not financial, but we need more support by uh, clicks and reading stuff and going on our website. Can you tell, tell us all the other ways we can find the work we're both doing? So you can go on VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com and anything from the show will have the actual audio and all of the links related to the show. Um, in terms of film and book club, you can actually go to www.thestrategycenter.org and you can actually RSVP and even read about all the last uh, film showings we've had. We're going to take a break, D'Angelo, but uh, before we do, I just want to say that, yes, again, this Thursday night, I'm going to, uh, well, it's going to be a discussion among organizers of this uh, article I just did on the victory we had to defund the police in the Los Angeles School Department, uh, $25 million cut and a 35% cut. But it's a lot of story of, of how we did it and the uh, story of organizing. So if you're interested, go on thestrategycenter.org and sign up. If you're not on the Voices from the Frontlines list, go on voicesfromthefrontlines.com and register. Go on Medium, find my stuff, you get it. D'Angelo, thank you. Take a break, and we'll be back. KPFK Los Angeles, a progressive media outlet, challenging corporate media perspectives with spirited political debate, local news, public affairs, health and wellness, music, and the arts. Listener-supported, non-commercial community radio, serving the cultural welfare of all races, creeds, and colors. 90.7 KPFK, power to the people. Right on. That was good. Can uh, can people give money to the station now if they call in? So one thing what this, this station is trying to do, which is it's a, an experiment that is so much in your, your interest, which is if you like Channing's review, seriously, uh, you call 818-985-5735, and they will be able to take your contribution. What we're trying to do is integrate fundraising into every show. And instead of having fund drives, which I think are really difficult, they break a lot of the momentum of a show that would like to come on every week and uh, keep things going. During the last fund drive, we were lucky. We were able to do our normal programming. And um, we raised some money. So the point is, every week on Voices, we're going to do 818-985-5735 and ask you to contribute, which I'm doing right now. Now, you know, um, if Richard Alanis is listening, I did not bring the link with me on my phone. If you can send it to Channing, is that okay? And uh, But Richard, if you can email... Channing at that number that's being changed after you after you send the text, uh, that would be cool, okay? Because I'm sorry, this is a film about blacks and Jews that Richard's been very generous to put me in touch with, and we're going to try to have the filmmaker on next Thursday, next Tuesday. And Richard said, would you lead to a plug? Because there's something about being downloaded right now. 
but I missed the whole thing. Did you get it already? Okay. So if we get it, we'll tell you about it. So that was great, Channing. I mean, seriously, that was exciting to listen to you. And uh, I think the show is so important. It's definitely one of those you can see two and three and four times. Yeah, I'm going to go back and see the first episode. Yeah, because they're way ahead of you folks. (laughs) Their, Their brain is way ahead of us. So let me tell you what I'm trying to do. I am, and I will organize this. There's a, there's a, you know, at the, on KPFK, we're not allowed to endorse candidates. So, uh, having said that, there's basically three basic tendencies in the 2020 election, right? Obviously, one is uh, to vote for Donald Trump, and that's a, one choice. The second choice is to vote for what I'm calling the Obama-Biden-Harris ticket, because I think Barack Obama is orchestrating this whole thing. I agree with that, yeah. Right? And I think that everybody knows, every time he asks Joe Biden, he says Barack Obama anyway, so you might as well <laughs> know he's there. You know, we get it. You're with Barack Obama. And I'm serious, because the, uh, um, I won't use it all the time, but I do think it's important to understand that there, there's a struggle inside the center-right Democratic Party, and that's what I think they both are, between the Clintons and the Obamas. And in some way, the Obama faction were happy that Clinton lost, and that's the end of, hopefully, the Clintons. And now they're trying to take over the Democratic Party. Well, they have taken it over. So I know he also likes Kamala Harris a lot. So I don't. that doesn't mean to negate Joe Biden's, uh, what they call, um, agency, but we would be remiss to not grasp that both Barack and Michelle Obama are powerful, powerful forces in the Democratic Party, and they're calling a lot of the shots, as they should, because they won, and the Clintons lost. <laughs> and that's why they're bringing in their people, David Pluff, and their whole campaign staff, to help Biden and uh, Kamala Harris win. There's a third position, which is doesn't matter. And, you know, that they're both imperialists, they're both racists, and the left should be independent. I totally, that's one position I can tell you I do not endorse. I think there are choices in everything, and the failure to want to make choices uh, is, is, uh, means you're irrelevant. Life often is 60-40 or 55-45, but it doesn't mean it's irrelevant. The choices you make are very, very important. And sometimes they're of great magnitude. So what I'm trying to do as sort of an ongoing conversation is let's assume that a lot of people want Biden and Harris to defeat Trump. And let's say that most of the people in the movement do think that is what they want. On the other hand, it's very important to not caricature Trump because he's pretty complicated. And I'll start by saying not everything he's saying is wrong. Not on the things you would think, but on the things I'm going to tell you about. And it's really important to understand the profound treachery of the Biden-Harris ticket and what they're about to propose. It will not change your vote, but it may change... You're understanding what we got to do now during the election. Obviously, one thing we have to do is elect a candidate. That's the primary thing. But we're in a difficult position, which is there's movements that are out there right now 
having a lot of trouble from the Democrats. And I am tr so what I'm trying to do is seek truth from facts. What I'm trying to do is look on, I'm looking and learning. I just started this project and eventually I'm gonna line them up better. I'm not confused about at the end who's worse and who's better, that's not my point. I am, as an independent revolutionary, first trying to make a correct assessment of conditions. And two, as you'll see, some people in the movement are saying we can't wait, right? So uh, hold on just a second. I'm just going to um, flip papers. All right, so here's an example. The Indigenous Environmental Network just put something out that says Democrats' climate report misses the mark, targets native lands for carbon pricing. Now, obviously, I'm going to read this on its own term, but why is this important? Because we love the Indigenous Environmental Network, and they're saying they're making a choice as a movement to say we're making demands on the Democrats now because the Democrats are doing bad things to us now, right. not just Trump. So that's the frame, and now I'm going to read what, what they're saying. August 25th, 2020, in Bemidji, Minnesota. A new climate report by the Senate Democrats Special Committee on the Climate Crisis released today. In the report, the committee targets tribal nations for carbon pricing projects, omits recommendations to end fossil fuel subsidies, uh, and fails to target fossil fuel production overall as a primary contributor to the climate crisis. Okay. Are you kidding? I'm serious. The report explicitly recommends carbon pricing and cap-and-trade programs for native tribes, targeting tribes for carbon pricing programs and projects. The Indigenous Environmental Network has shown that carbon pricing mechanisms are false solutions that allow big polluters to keep polluting with little oversight, does not cut emissions at all, doesn't cut them at the source, and offers no tangible effect to addressing climate change. I don't know what it takes to outrage people, but the Strategy Center has fought against carbon pricing and so-called the buying and selling of air pollution, which I'll explain in a minute, since, if I can really remember, 1992, 1993. This is one of the most bankrupt things. What it means, carbon trading, is theoretically, well, let me just, let, let me the Indigenous Environmental Network keep talking. That's much more important. Tom Goldtooth, the executive director of the Indigenous Environment Network, provides the following statement. Native nations continue to live on the front lines of fossil fuel destruction and climate chaos. Targeting, targeting Native communities with carbon pricing as a false solution to climate change does not mitigate the problems of our community face. It will disproportionately increase the wealth of polluters at the expense of Native lives. This is unforgivable and horrifying. If we're to stop climate change, we must create a phase-out plan centered around the indigenous principle of just transition to keep fossil fuels in the ground. That includes cutting off subsidies, tax breaks, and putting a national moratorium on fracking. IEN is deeply concerned with the committee's faith in unproven technologies like carbon capture utilization and storage. Oh, God. Carbon sequestration in industrial farming practices, a call for an increase in biofuel production, and linking natural gas with renewable energies in a so-called smart grid. There are 106 mentions 
of the term decarbonization report. Decarbonization does not mean cutting climate emissions at the source. It's an easily manipulated term that allows the usage of net zero emissions that allow carbon pricing, carbon offsets, nuclear power, biofuels, and geoengineering to be used as false mechanisms to look good on paper that a 100% clean energy has been sheathed when it hasn't. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what to do. I mean, this is so effing outrageous. You know, after all the work that Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the people did about a so-called uh, Green New Deal, you start looking at what the Democrats are doing and in the middle of this massive climate change, I'm just going to say it in a few minutes, each one of these carbon capture means you first you produce the carbon and then you try to capture it. Buying and selling of air pollution means that if I'm polluting more uh, and I want to pollute more, theoretically, I can buy a credit from you and then I can burn more carbon. But theoretically, the more you raise the cost of me doing it, I'm not going to do it after a while. We're in 2020 and this BS is going on. I mean, for those who are trying to elect uh, Biden and Harris, this is beyond outrageous, just absolutely beyond outrageous. So that's one. Uh, okay, great. The L.A. Jewish, so I'm sorry, this is the middle of something else. The L.A. Jewish Film Festival presents a virtual premiere of Shared Legacies, the African-American Jewish Civil Rights Alliance, with webinar Q&A online virtually. Uh, so you go to the L.A. Film Festival slash Jewish Journal and look for Shared Legacies, and you'll find it. And then you, you, we urge you to, uh, well, you get it. I've seen the trailer for it. I'm in touch with the, the filmmaker, and we're still, uh, I'm waiting to see the whole film. But the point is, is this, that the, historically has been a very strong black Jewish alliance. It's broken up for a lot of reasons. I don't want to talk about it now to distract from the other conversation, but this is a film that's certainly trying to put the pieces together. I have a lot of ideas about what it would take, but certainly the intention of this film is very good, and you should check it out, okay? So the L.A. Jewish Film Festival, and the name of the film is Shared Legacies, okay? African-American Jewish Civil Rights Alliance. And I want to thank Richard Alanese, who texts me a lot, and he's got a lot of ideas, and uh, he's the head of the, uh, the KPFK Film Club. And he does a great job, and he says he does great film reviews, which he sends to me, sometimes at 5 in the morning. I've been telling Richard, please, I love your stuff, <laughs> but I don't have much of a curfew. And he's been much nicer about it. I get him at least at 9 a.m. But he's, a, he's an energetic force, Richard. Nice job is what I'm saying. Nice job that you care. And I hope you and I and Channing could work more on the strategy and soul revolutionary organizers film and book club. How do you find the link to that? You can go to thestrategycenter.org and it is right on the front page. Yeah, it is. The front page is good. It's got the scroll, yeah. but not that many. Yeah. 
and big as we designed it, you know, big, big and bright. Mm-hmm. So go on the strategycenter.org because we really uh, streamlined in some way the website and made it very accessible, and we'd love you to go on and join the, our film and book club. All right, so the first thing is I, I'm almost speechless about that the Democratic Party at this point is going to sabotage climate change. Let's be very clear. All this stuff is false science that they know. So that's, we'll come back to that, but that's point one in this conversation. Uh, Any thoughts on that before I go on? Yeah, I mean, just to to reaffirm what you said, we've been studying all the false solutions for years. And I worked with the Cleaner Action Committee inside the Bus Riders Union, and... uh, uh, I did not go to a cleaner university, but I studied some of that work, and you know, I learned about the RED program. I can't remember what RED stands for right. anymore, um, but it's terrible, and I'm not surprised at all. So now, and uh, I think I'm going to invest in a stapler. So here's a positive inside the Democratic Party. So one of my themes is I'm starting to think that Biden and Harris are terrible. I mean, really. And that doesn't mean you don't vote for them, but but the hope is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, who are in quite a struggle with them. There's quite a struggle going on. They asked uh, Ocasio-Cortez, what did you think of the convention? And this is important to say. She said, well, it was for white people. Hmm. They were trying to get white people. And she was, she was careful because I want to explain that to people. White people still run the country. It's called a white settler state. We call it that. Please see uh, Lovecraft. (laughs) That's the same country we're talking about. I have to learn the states better, but I know they're Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida. Um, Indiana, um, no, I think Indiana is completely Republican, I believe. Illinois, I'm talking about swing states that could go either way. There is uh, Arizona, Nevada, right? And I'm going to, you know, there's about nine of these states, which, you know, some of them are just going red no matter what. I just saw North Carolina may be in play, uh, which is good. So the point is they have done the polls. And back to David Pluff, they have figured out that in almost every single state they need two things strong black voting and white moderate voting. They need both. So what the party, in my opinion, is saying to black people is, we got you. We got Michelle, we got Barack, and we got Kamala. You know this election is about white folks, so please turn out like crazy. But we got to go get some white folks because they're going to go for Trump. And you'll see, we're still going to say civil rights and stuff like that, but we're not going to say too much because we got to win this election. And guess what? There is some truth to that. We'll come back to that. The question is, how do you do it and who is sacrificed? But there's nothing about fracking on indigenous land that has to do with any of that except mass cruelty. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to tell you a cool thing, and I'm, I got so much to learn. I'm serious that it says here... Ocasio-Cortez Velasquez called for a convention to decide Puerto Rican status. 
Velasquez, born in Puerto Rico, and she's a uh, congresswoman, and Ocasio-Cortez of Puerto Rican origin, published an essay on NBC News, think, defending their approach, what they say would allow Puerto Ricans to decide their own fate. The legislation that would prompt Puerto Ricans' legislature to create a status convention where delegates would be elected by Puerto Rican voters, wrote the two lawmakers. This body would develop a long-term solution for Puerto Rico's status, be that statehood, independence, note she's saying independence, Mm -hmm. free association, Mm -hmm. or any option other than the current territorial arrangement, they said. So just take a minute there again. This is related to IEN. They're saying that Puerto Rican must determine its relationship to the United States. It's a damn territory, and they're saying that's the only thing it's not going to be. We just did it. We're doing a whole thing about once upon a time black people. More we're talking about we want to determine our relationship to the United States. Again, why they're so amazing and why she's so just one of the great hopes. What's the difference? I'm sorry. Um, sure. What's You said independence and free association. I don't know the difference between those. Well, I don't either. What she's trying to say is there's a lot of different relationships. Um, obviously, independence means you you leave. Right. You're a, exactly. you're an independent country. Uh, I can't find what she said, but there were different. In other words, all of them have some independent relationship to the United States. Is Got the it. point? And the only thing they do not want statehood. They're against statehood because they think that's just going to basically end the independence of Puerto Rico. Right. Call it a state, and they'll still treat it like crap in return. Okay. So the Velasquez bill, uh, so this is them speaking again. It's understandable that many of our friends in the Democratic Party have eyed making Puerto Rican a state as the answer. That view gained further traction after the U.S. House recently passed legislation that would move the District of Columbia towards statehood, wrote the lawmakers, which is Ocasio-Cortez, right? And uh, Nidia Nidia Velasquez, okay? And New York Democratic, they're both members of the House. Under the current status, Puerto Rico's more than 3 million American citizens have no voting representation in Congress and cannot vote for president. Uh, I won't go through everything, but it ends by saying, Velasquez and Ocasio-Cortez wrote that it would be an affront to let Congress decide whether to validate the results of the existing referendum pointing out that many in Puerto Rico would view Congress pushing statehood not as an end to colonization, but the culmination of it. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're using an anti-colonial lens is unbelievable, and I don't urge people, but whatever, if they had fundraising needs, it would be interesting to look into them. That's one thing I might ask people to do. But check this out. And the two lawmakers in the essay criticized the U.S. takeover of the island in period, calling the episode of the 1898 war an invasion and a dark episode that began more than a century of exploitation and brought us to the current untenable situation. So God bless them. I mean it. And that's light years away from Biden and Harris in the same party. And there's a struggle inside that party, obviously, these two sisters represent, unfortunately, still a small but rising force inside the party. And they're in the united front to defeat, uh, to defeat Trump. 
got everybody following this so far? So the, yeah. so when I got Tom's thing showing, he's trying to have an independent relation and the anti-colonial relationship, but I'm trying to expose them and demand the changes. And uh, Nidia Vasquez and Ocasio-Cortez are basically having an anti-colonial discussion inside of... Um, you know, inside of Puerto Rico, and we haven't yet seen a mass anti-colonial movement inside the Democratic Party of black people yet using anti-colonial uh, terminology or theory about what they're demanding. That's right. Yeah. All right, so here's some interesting stuff. Um, so then I'm reading that the Democrats are planning to go to war with China. This is terrifying me. I'm serious. I went, what I'm doing, I'm just Googling stuff. Yeah. So I went Trump on China because I think Trump wants a war on China. But he doesn't really. He wants a trade war and he's doing a lot of bluffing. And, you know, for instance, he just is an example. He said he's going to bring back the auto factories from China, says Trump. But in fact, General Motors doesn't want to come back. No. General Motors says our operations in China are joint ventures with local companies that overwhelmingly produce vehicles for the domestic Chinese market, the company said. We do, we do repatriate the equity income we earn in China back to the United States where it is subject to tax. Wink, wink. Other <laughs> U.S. automakers have been expanding investments in China, hoping to maintain or expand business in the world's largest car market. An increasingly difficult challenge as this country's own domestic manufacturers grow. Okay? So China's trying to develop its own uh, electric vehicles. But, and there's this big company that's on the stock market now. Tesla opened its first farm plant and its only second assembly line anyway last year in China with the Beijing government pushing for a shift to electrical vehicles to address the country's endemic air pollution, not the buying and selling of air pollution, not putting pollution on indigenous land, but moving towards electric vehicles, Tesla expects that market to become one of the most important going forward. Inciano said President Trump's trade policies today have backfired sending auto jobs to China instead of saving them for American. <laughs> now, bear, hang, so Trump said yesterday, China will own our country if this guy gets elected. Trump said, we can't let it happen. So Trump is taking a hard line, right? He's saying that, that Biden's going to let him open. In fact, I think Trump is, I'm going to show you, is much better on China. He has this trade war. He yells and screams. The Chinese wait. The Chinese, get, the Chinese are getting better. And I'm, look, I'm not saying Trump's stuff on China is, is terrible, but wait till you hear the Democrats. This is serious. I, I almost, this is terrible. Um... The Democratic Party in 2020 under Biden-Harris pledged to support colonial Taiwan in violation of the one China policy that Nixon negotiated and Obama claimed to support. But Obama-Biden-Harris ticket now supports war with China. Obama, this is my interpretation, Obama has said that the U.S. is a Pacific power the Democratic Party, check this out, platform adopted at last week's nominee convention dropped any reference to the U.S. policy of recognizing a single China, 
in a reference to unofficial American ally Taiwan. That's to say, after Nixon went to China, the big thing China wanted was what's called a one-China policy, which is Taiwan, which is this reactionary island off the coast of China that is part of China, has claimed its independence. And the United States has said, actually, even though Taiwan is like Israel, so powerful that no, in return for stuff we want from China, we accept it's a one-China policy. That policy has existed to say Taiwan is not a separate country, and any fights between Taiwan and China are inside the territorial and political integrity of China. The first time, and I read this just a minute ago, the new platform issued for presidential nominee Joseph R. Biden states that Democrats are committed to the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act, which calls on the U.S. to defend China from mainland attack. The platform then states that Democrats, quote, will continue to support a peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues consistent with the wishes and best interests of the people of Taiwan, not the people of China. Taiwan is a reactionary state. It's a breakaway state where, where like, just like in Germany, all the Nazis stayed in West Germany. All the people that supported European colonialism went to Taiwan and formed their own, that's where Chiang Kai-shek ran away after he lost all of China. He went to this small island. They reconstructed it as an American colony. It took China all this stuff. And now, by contrast, the 2016 platform, which Hillary Clinton ran on, explicitly supported the one China policy hanging out, hammered out in the 1970s when the U.S. dropped formal diplomatic recognition of Taiwan and shifted recognition to Beijing. The 2016 documents that Democrats were committed to a one-China policy. China's foreign ministry criticized the platform change. So, my dear listeners, if you get where I'm going, I am very serious. This is a, just like they're trying to stir up problems in Hong Kong, which is nothing but a little imperial city that was con- constructed by the British and under a 100-year lease, an imperialist lease against China. Taiwan is an imperialist outpost of the United States. Everybody knows that. And I don't, think, I don't know enough, but China is not trying to take over Taiwan. But they are telling Taiwan you're part of China. So check this out. Biden and Harris went into the Democratic Party and pass something that they know is going to allow a provocation because then the United States can go into, into Asia and have a war with China over Taiwan. Right. Outrageous, outrageous. And I, and I think on all these things, just like Tom Goldtooth did and just like Ocasio-Cortez, we at the Strategy Center got to do something about this. This is like a reversal of 50 years of U.S.-China policy. We got two minutes, one minute. I'll end. I, I want to thank Jenny Martinez for the film review and the leadership you provide on the show. I hope our listeners are following this bouncing ball. Go and check us out at thestrategycenter.org. Check us out at uh, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. If you're interested in coming to the film and book club this Thursday night, go on and 
we're still going to work the best we can against a system that is burning up in all ways. Eric Mann and Cheney Martinez saying all power to the people. And thank you, D'Angelo Jones, for all the work you do. And thanks, Richard Almese. A life that's full of traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. I did my way. Yes, regrets. I've had a few, but then again.